electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Tyler Matheson, in for Kelly today, and here's what's ahead on the exchange. Technology leading the games, just talking about Apple, as investors digest more Fed speak, earnings, and economic data. But could the bounce be short-lived? We're going to take a look at three names in the sector, well-positioned to keep some gains going. Plus, the China cyber threat. How likely is an attack against the U.S. in response to Speaker Pelosi's Taiwan trip? One of our guests today says... It's very likely and expects such a cyber response to be a big one. And the details and safeguards he's telling clients to put in place. And we're charging and snacking in the earnings exchange today. The key things to watch on Lucid, Sunrun, and yes, Hostess, Twinkies and Cupcakes, and how to position on each stock. It's the icing on the cake today, but we begin with today's markets and Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange. Hey, Bob. We've got a Twinkies uh, stock market, a little bit of a sugar high here. We're breaking out, folks. I know that's hard to believe, but take a look at the major averages right now. Not so much the Dow, but the S&P 500, NASDAQ definitely breaking out. Remember, we were in a trading range for the S&P for a couple months, 3,600 to 3,900. That seems like a long time ago. Then a few weeks ago, we broke out. All of a sudden, we were 4,000 to 4,100. We're breaking out of that range, too. We're heading towards 4,200. This is the highest level for the S&P 500 since early June. And why is it breaking out? Because the market wants growth. They're trying to play this Fed pivot. I know the Fed officials are apoplectic about this, but they are trying to play it. Take a look at big cap tech. They're breaking out all over the place. Apple, Microsoft doing well. Lamb Research, $500. That was, that's up 25% in a month. Uh, so or se- semis are back in a very big way on top of that. And not just quality, quote, unquote, technology, speculative technologies having a field day. I keep pointing out Kathy Wood stuff keeps going up every day. Look at this. Intellia, Block, Unity. Tw- this is all Kathy Wood stuff. All up big today once again. What don't they want? They don't want energy, folks. Uh, we had a terrific earnings report from Occidental. I mean, just terrific. Pioneer Natural also crazy dividend, almost 8% for Pioneer Natural. They sold right into it, right at the open. Oil collapsing today, down 91. Of course, midday doesn't help a lot. But Apache Marathon, there's been no energy in these stocks uh, for quite some while. So quite some time. Where are we right now in the markets right now? Here's what I see. The momentum is definitely with growth, technology. The earnings for the third and fourth quarter are slightly lower, but not much. They certainly do not indicate any kind of earnings recession. Oil is definitely lower. That is a big plus for the bulls who believe it is, of course, uh, a front for inflation. ISM services today, the new orders were higher. That's good. Prices are still increasing, but at a much slower rate. So take a look at the VIX. This is why the stock market is rallying for all of these reasons. Maybe it's not quite Goldilocks, but what we've got here is this potentially slower economy that doesn't indicate any serious recession. Prices are still high, but starting to moderate a bit. And the VIX is calming down. Look at this. Well, not quite the lowest levels that we've seen in a while, but maybe a couple days ago it was lower, but essentially the lowest levels since going back 
to early April. Tyler, back to you. Bob, thank you very much. Bob Pisani. Our next guest uh, is betting on technology, but says you have to be very selective in this environment. Joining us now with three names she likes is our friend Nancy Tangler, CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Laffer Tangler Investments. Nancy, welcome. I see that you seem to have your eye on the labor market. We will get a labor report on Friday, but you were your eye was uh, caught by yesterday's uh, decline in jolts, uh, the jobs openings, uh, and also last week's increase in um, jobless claims. Are you worried about a real serious labor slowdown and hence a recession? Um, you know, Tyler, good to see you, by the way. Good to see you. Um, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. Um, I think the Fed's objective was to try to destroy available jobs before destroying real jobs. Uh, I think we're getting a bit of both. Uh, we're watching it, but we still have 10.7 million uh, job openings in, in the JOLT report yesterday. But, you know, jobless claims have risen pretty dramatically from 166,000 in March to 257 last week. Um, all of this this movement and in the jolts and the jobless came are coincident with when the Fed started to seriously uh, address inflation through tightening quantitative tightening and raising the rate. So I, I don't I think we're a far way away from a labor uh, crisis or high unemployment rates. Um, I, I don't know if we're in a recession, but it, that it's just technical. It's been so politicized. Uh, you know, the first quarter we saw a, a negative print, but it was because it, we had an, a surge in imports. They were unable to unload off, if you recall, offload from the ships in December. And so all that stuff came in in the first quarter, which also hurt Target and Walmart because their inventories, you know, bloated. So I, I think we have to understand why the GDP number has been negative, And I just don't think it's going to be a serious recession. So is the Fed doing what it should be doing or maybe what it should have been doing um, last year, late last year, uh, even into the summer of last year? And... Am I right in thinking that maybe you see a soft landing for the economy? I, I certainly hope so. I think one of the, the wild cards, Tyler, is this is this Inflation Reduction Act. I, I find it, the hubris in that title to be amusing. But, you know, the, the offsets that are in that bill don't kick in until 2026. By that, I mean the drug pricing uh, portion of it. And so you're going to get all this spending again. And that's what really sparked inflation in, in the last yeah. Uh, in the last round, it was the American Rescue Plan. And then you had a Fed that sat on their hands and for way too long. So, yes, I think they're tightening. Financial conditions have gotten a lot tighter. Uh, we started adding risk back into our portfolios in mid-June. Uh, that that turned out to be a good call. And you're seeing it come you know, in, through the NASDAQ. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you on the title of that bill, uh, of that law. <laughs> it's uh, it's ironic or, or, or cheeky or... I don't know. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> let's, let, 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 <laughs> the word I was thinking of isn't one I would want to use here uh, uh, publicly. <laughs> but, but at any rate, you seem to like cloud stocks and who can not like defense stocks in a world that seems to be bristling with malevolence and uh, uh, malice towards one another? Yeah, well, cloud and cyber have been long been our themes, and I've talked about that on your air many, many times. And that those were the names we were adding to in in June. So you know, the growth is still robust. Uh, it's a solution for a, a short, you know, labor shortage. Same with the digitization names. Uh, so we semiconductors. We've been adding to all of those. We're overweight technology now, um, and and then defense. I think Raytheon's a great way to play that because you know you're you're not just getting uh, defense spending, but you're also getting uh, pat 
commercial airline spend and passenger miles are at 70% of pre-pandemic levels. So I think we're going to see further acceleration there. And then many of the, the countries, uh, the NATO countries, are actually going to spend more than 2%, according to the CEO of, of Raytheon, 2% of their GDP. Mm-hmm. Sorry. So I, I think that's a great place to hide uh, a portion of your assets and then add to the risk um, on pullbacks, not today. You know, Microsoft was really dead money for about a decade, but it's been anything but. And and it's and it seems to have done a masterful job at diversifying what it does. It's in gaming. It's in the cloud. It's in its basic business services uh, things and, and so forth. It's got LinkedIn, which is an extremely potent tool. And you like Microsoft a lot. What we do, and I think the the CFO Amy Hood gave us good guidance that the fiscal year 2023 is going to continue to produce. They're going to continue to produce double digit growth. The dividend grows, um, you know, nine percent annualized, uh, and and you're not getting much of a yield because the stock is appreciated so much. So, um, shout out to Microsoft. You can raise the dividend a lot more in coming years. All but right. I think it's, it's it's a great holding. It's a stock you can own for a lifetime. Nancy, very nice to see you again. Nancy Tangler, Laffer Tangler Investments. Well, crude oil slipping 3% right now. OPEC agreeing to raise production, but by a very small amount. We'll get to the number in just a minute with Brian Sullivan, who joins us with the latest. Brian, that, that increase was barely an increase. I mean, you could almost call it a cut in some ways, Tyler. Anybody hoping for a big output increase from OPEC was certainly disappointed today. To your point, they gave that tiny 100,000 barrel per day increase. Put that in context. That is 0.1% of global oil demand. It is just 1 20th of a 2 million barrel per day projected demand jump next year. So why didn't they do more? Well, most OPEC countries likely simply just don't have the excess oil. Many are struggling to meet their current quotas And OPEC is also worried about what is ahead. Remember, the full European sanctions on Russian oil do not kick in until December 5th. Got partial sanctions now, full ones kicking in on the 5th. And OPEC making a very vague OPEC-esque type reference to what may happen by saying basically, quote, all right, well, you know, we've got these, uh, we want to make sure that we've got some oil in case we get some external supply shock or whatever it is, a severely limited capacity. So what they're saying there, Tyler, is that we don't really know what's going to happen at the end of the year with Russia. If there is a supply shock, a couple million barrels a day of Russian oil simply come off the market, that if there is any spare capacity, OPEC wants to be able to meet that demand then, not now, 100,000 barrels per day, barely, barely an increase at all. They basically want to keep a rainy day fund, or so they say, uh, because the, the, the acute moment may not be here right now. It may come in the winter, which is possible, I suppose, right? Yeah, because you've also, remember, got the 160 million barrel strategic petroleum reserve that we've been selling just under a million barrels a day now for a couple of months. That is ending as well, and it's got to get refilled all kind of at the same time these Russian sanctions are going to kick in. Okay, so here's the thing. Why is oil down today? We're looking at 91 and change, which, by the way, oil's been falling almost every day for the last couple of months. Gasoline down 50 days in a row. That's good news. So what's going on? Well, the oil bears will point to three reasons why oil prices are down. One is recession. 
Two is a projected increase in U.S. oil production. And number three is recession. And yes, I did that on purpose, Tyler. <laughs> I mentioned it twice because if you're referring to the bear case, recession, slowdown, driving less, whatever it may be, that's your main reason. The bulls will say, okay, the Russia sanctions kick in. You've got you know, the SPR release rolling off and you've got projected 2 million barrel a day increase. The last couple of weeks, the bears have been winning, but let's, let's be clear, 91, Tyler, $4 gas. I don't remember, low. I'm old enough to remember February when that was expensive. Yeah, it's not exactly low. What are you hearing as the, the, as the, as the, as the range for oil prices over the next six to 12 months, let's say? Is, is the low in the 70s and the high in the 120s? What are you hearing in terms of where we may trade? Yeah, you remember the late great Boone Pickens, Tyler? I'm sure you spoke of them a lot. Here's a dear friend. He would always say, Brian, I see the range is 70 to 120. He gave himself all this room both ways, right? So he would be right. I love Boone. I mean that respectfully. I've heard 50 to 150, Tyler. The, yep. ultra, the ultra bears will say, listen, global economic slowdown. You know what? China keeps locking down. Whatever mm -hmm. U.S. rolls over, Europe's got all their problems. You could go down to 50 if, if, if production does not come down. The Uber bulls out there will say 150 or above because, yeah, we're in a little bit of a downturn now, but the SPR release, that's ending December 5th, the Russia sanctions, a couple million coming off the market as well. I spoke with a guy yesterday, actually. It's gonna it takes 4,200 wells, new wells a year, to keep production in the Texas Permian Basin flat. I want you to think about that. 4,200 wells, that is oil Flow, that's the name of the company, oil flow data, 4,200 wells, new wells to keep production flat. And if you talk to anybody out there, tech, Tyler, Texas, or maybe in Tyler, Texas, they'll tell you, <laughs> can't find people, they can't find steel, can't find sand, can't find truck drivers. You got to have 4,200. So how, how do you grow production? You got to have 4,200 new ones because 4,200 old ones go offline. Is that basically it? That's right. They drain, they get Simple depleted. Hey, They're done. Yeah, I drink your milkshake. How many straws are going in that milkshake, yeah. right? There will be yeah. blood. So you think about that. And I know you got some guests coming up. They could probably yep. talk about it more elegantly than I. Hardly. Thank you, sir. Talk soon. Yes, sir. See you All later. Right. All right, coming up, U.S.-China tensions rising following Speaker Pelosi's trip to Taiwan, a controversial one. Should the U.S. be bracing for a cyber attack from China as a result? Our next guest says yes, and it could be a serious one. What he sees ahead and what he's telling his clients to do to protect themselves now. Plus, off-price retailers up double digits over the past months, but Wells Fargo says they are not immune to the cross-currents we are seeing in the retail sector. A look at what's in store. How about that? In store for the group. The analyst behind the note will be with us. And as we head to a break, let's take a quick look at the markets. And there you see the Dow up more than 1%. Ditto S&P, NASDAQ more than 2%. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. U.S.-China tensions rising following House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's controversial trip to Taiwan. Eunice Yoon is live in Beijing with the latest. Hi, Eunice. Hey, Tyler. Well, Speaker Pelosi has departed Taiwan, but the repercussions of her visit are still unfolding. The Speaker pledged U.S. solidarity with Taiwan, an island that Beijing claims is its own. She was granted a Medal of Honor from the island's president, who also hosted a luncheon with her with other top business leaders, including the founder of chip foundry TSMC. Speaker Pelosi also visited Taiwan's parliament, where she was promoting the U.S. Chips Act, and she met with human rights activists. Now, she's now in South Korea, but uh, pretty much everyone in the region is waiting to see if there's going to be further fallout uh, from her visit. The uh, Chinese military, uh, in about 11 hours from now, is expected to hold extensive exercises all around Taiwan. Uh, Taiwan officials have actually said that this would violate their territorial waters. And the concern is that these drills could lead to an accidental escalation. Uh, Taiwan officials are also fearing a potential impact on the global supply chain, saying that the PLA drills are acting as an air and sea blockade of Taiwan. Now, authorities on the island warned that the live fire drills are happening, will, are expected to happen very close to ports. They say that they're also coordinating with aviation authorities around the region in Japan and the Philippines, for example, uh, for airline, uh, for air traffic rerouting. And that's because some of the airlines have been reporting that Beijing has warned them about staying away from parts of the island that are described as danger zones. Now, the exercises are scheduled to end on Sunday, but it's very unclear if the uh, measures that China is taking will also come to an end. Uh, the foreign ministry today seemed to suggest that there were more measures to come. Uh, when asked about further punishment, the spokesperson said China will take all necessary measures to resolutely defend national sovereignty and territorial integrity. We will do what we say. Ty. All right, thank you very much, Eunice Yoon. And uh, if those exercises are going to go until Sunday, we're only at Wednesday. And, of course, that means there are five more days for things to happen. Some of them might not be good. All right, on top of all of this, this military bristling, this, uh, this, uh, this cacophony of sound and fury from Beijing, the Taiwanese government saying it was the victim of a denial-of-service attack ahead of, a vi of that visit by Speaker Pelosi. And that has got cybersecurity stocks on the move. CrowdStrike, Zscaler, Okta, all higher over the past week. And our next guest warns that more attacks are on the way, both in Taiwan and here at home. Let's bring in our friend David Kennedy. He is the uh, trusted sex CEO uh, and a former NSA and Marine Corps hacker. David, welcome. Good to see you. Uh, what do you make of the supposed hacks or disruptions? I, I guess it was a distributed denial of service attack 
on the president's office in Taiwan and various other government ministries. How big was it? How disruptive was it? Do fingers point to Beijing or to amateur hackers? Yeah, we see this very commonly with China. China um, plays very well on the cyber front. They're pure competitors uh, to the United States and our Western allies. And they are increasingly always enhancing their capabilities. Uh, last year alone, we had some unprecedented hacks come from China, kind of establishing dominance. Uh, the distributed now surface attack is more on the lesser side of an attack. What it does is it basically barrages the websites with uh, traffic to where it can't handle it and overloads the servers and then shuts those systems down for the time being. You know, at that period of time, you know, with the enhanced amount of drills that we're starting to see, um, you know, towards Taiwan, as well as, you know, the distributed now surface attacks against uh, the websites themselves, these are more precursors to what, you know, we often fear from China, which is more larger scale attacks uh, to show the dominance on the cyber play uh, field to create either pain here back in the United States with our Western allies uh, or with Taiwan to start to get political changes that occur here or repercussions that China would say, you know, uh, were warranted based on uh, the Pelosi visit to Taiwan. So we're all actively uh, looking at this. We're all prepared. You know, we know that China is very aggressive, continues to get aggressive. But, you know, again, they're one of the best when it comes to uh, how they play on the cyber field. So we're all very concerned about it right now. You you say that they are the number one country for hacking and stealing intellectual property. Would you expect that if Beijing gets involved in cyber assaults uh, on the United States or on Taiwan or our, our friends, that they would go after businesses or that they would go to disrupt uh, public services or that they might go to disrupt governmental functions? Well, China really doesn't play by the rules when it comes to cyber. You know, the United States, we abide by a number of laws. Our intelligence agencies are limited to what they can do from a, you know, infiltration, collection, intelligence gathering perspective. China is continuously pushing the envelope. They're they're one of the they're, they're the largest culprit for intellectual property theft. They continue to steal intellectual property from the United States and then basically create products that compete with us for half the cost because they don't have all the R&D out there. When it comes to what China is capable of, it's kind of all on the table. I would expect, you know, since this was very largely uh, a political nature uh, political in nature, uh, that they would start targeting more military installations, command and control, uh, look at, you know, potentially going after our political system in some way, shape or form. We obviously have elections coming up soon. Uh, so we, we were very concerned about our election process currently in China playing a major role in that. Uh, additionally, our critical infrastructure is some of our most vulnerable, uh, our ability for water treatment facilities, nuclear power plants, um, how we do, you know, day to day life and energy production here in the United States is is, uh, you know, these are typically archaic systems that are very vulnerable in nature. So, you know, there's a lot of folks uh, on the defensive side, you know, always trying to increase, but are, we're still 15, 20 years away from really having a really solid defensible position against these types of attacks, especially quick, with the likes of China. Quick thought, if I might, David, on the Solana attack, which apparently drained $8 million out of some uh, cyber uh, wallets. Uh, what have we learned from that quickly? And, and do you expect to see these kinds of assaults persist even though uh, the price of cyber isn't as dear as it was six, 10 months ago. Yeah, with Solana, it's, it's a cryptocurrency platform that allows applications to essentially be developed on top of it. And all indications are pointing at there was a, a severe vulnerability that leaked what's called the private key, which is really what protects the cryptocurrency, protects the transactions, protects the integrity um, of that data. And it looks like um, hackers figured out a way to do that and, and impacted over 8,000 
Bitcoin wallets, which are the most sensitive piece right. to cryptocurrency. So this isn't a flaw in Bitcoin, but it's a flaw in the platform itself. And we're going to continue to see those as Bitcoin becomes more and more complex. If there are openings, uh, the criminals will exploit them. David Kennedy, Absolutely. as always, thank you for making a tough subject simple and easy to understand. We appreciate it. Thank Coming you so much. up, appreciate the PayPal that. transformation investors buying the company's drastic plan to turn things around. The details ahead. Plus, solar stocks have been crushing it on earnings. Will Sunrun continue that streak? What to watch in earnings is ahead right here on The Exchange. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. All right, let's go to the data bank and make a deposit, shall we? There you see U.S. markets right now. The Dow Industrials up about 136. The high was 400 and, excuse me, 1.36%. The high was a little higher than this, but we're near the highs, up 439 points. S&P 500 up one and three-fifths percent. And the NASDAQ, the big winner again as tech powers ahead. Uh, Apple, a standout performer today, up 318 is the NASDAQ. Let's see what Bertha Coombs thinks of it. She's got the news update. Looking pretty green over there. Hi, Tyler. Here's what's happening at this hour. Iran and the U.S. and the EU are all sending representatives to Vienna for nuclear pact discussions. The U.S. officials says the administration's expectations are in check, but it still welcomes the European Union's effort to revive those discussions. NBC News reporting in the last hour that Rudy Giuliani will probably not face charges after a two-year investigation by federal prosecutors in New York. They were looking at whether his efforts several years ago to have the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine removed from her post required him to register as a foreign agent. And President Biden's doctor says he is still testing positive in his rebound COVID case with an occasional cough, but feels well and is fever free. The White House just released a photo of the president at his desk this morning, speaking on the phone with his national security team. And for the first time since the pandemic began, a big fireworks festival returned to central Japan. But organizers are still worried about COVID infections, and in an effort to control the crowd size, spectators actually had to pay for their seats. So I guess that's like fireworks behind the paywall time. Yeah, exactly. Boy, that's pretty spectacular there. Yeah. Bertha, thank you so much. Coming up, we're going to take a look at Lucid, Sunrun, and Hostess. They all report after the bell today, but only one of them is expected to turn a profit. Here's a hint. It's the sweetest name on, oh, that's a give, that's a layup. And the only one in the green this year. We'll give you the action, the story, and the trade for all three of them in the earnings exchange ahead. 
All right, welcome back, everybody. It's time now for the earnings exchange, where we give you the action, the story, and the trade on three names set to report results after the bell today. First up is Lucid, which I am sometimes, but sometimes not. The EV maker is down nearly 50% this year, lowered full-year production estimates from 20,000 down to around 14,000 uh, back in Q1 amid supply chain struggles, and the street is eager for any update on that. Phil LeBeau has the story here. Danielle Shea, director of options at Simpler Trading, will join us uh, with our trades today. Phil, take it away. Lucid uh, seems a little cloudy. Well, they need to show progress, Tyler. There's no doubt about that, especially after uh, bringing down their guidance for full year deliveries in the first quarter. Do they change it? It's 12 to 14,000. That in part depends on whether or not the production rate can continue to increase so that they can support delivering 12 to 14,000 vehicles this year. What's going on with the cash burn? Are they able to bring it down? And then finally, what's the reservation in the backlog level? It was at 30,000 approximately at the end of Q1. So any details we get in terms of showing that they not only have stabilized production, but are also able to ramp up deliveries and there's still that demand out there, that will go a long ways to determining what happens with the stock, regardless of what the numbers are. I mean, with a company like this, if it's off dramatically, maybe the stock moves, but I think it's really the guidance that will determine what happens with shares of Lucid. All right, Phil, thanks very much. Let's turn to Danielle now for her take on it. Uh, I look at this company, I look at the price for its vehicles, 154000 for the Air Grant, 107000 for the next one. Eighty. They had better be good because that is a premium price automobile. That's a niche within a niche, uh, Danielle. What do you think of this stock? You know, Tyler, I completely agree with you. I'm a huge Tesla fan, first of all, but I don't like the stock at all. What I can tell you about the fundamentals is it doesn't look good. It's been trading on the lows. However, what I have to say about this stock is that it's one of the most heavily shorted stocks in the market. And the problem is that this earnings season, we're seeing a trend in which companies will report slightly better than feared and rally. So when I'm looking at Lucid, I don't like the company. I don't like it to the long side on a fundamental perspective. But look at the chart. Right now, we're up against some previous highs. We've already rallied going into earnings. This stock has about 22% high short interest, and it has an incredibly high cost to borrow around 14%. Mm -hmm. So what that means is that if we end up getting a large move on earnings due to any kind of surprise, I would say for a $5 move to the mm -hmm. upside, this could mm -hmm. really set off a massive short squeeze. All right. So so when you started out there, uh, it was like, I really don't like this stock. One of the fish in your tank just went belly up on, on, on that alone. Uh, all right, Danielle, let's move on to the next one, which is Sunrun. The solar sector has been on a tear, but no love for Sunrun. Those shares down about 13 percent this year compared with a 5 percent gain for the Invesco Solar ETF. Short interest in the stock. Here we go again, Danielle. Sits near 15 percent. Christina Partsenevelis has the story. Hey, Christina. Hey, Tyler. So shares of Sunrun have popped since the announcement of the Democrats' Inflation Reduction Act. So we actually saw that just a few weeks ago. And it includes the most ambitious climate spending package in U.S. history, $370 million. So you had the whole clean energy sector do a little bit better. But when we're talking about Sunrun, there's three major points I want to focus on. The sustaining customer growth segment. So can this happen? Guggenheim, for example, in their note, noticed slower web traffic on residential solar developer websites. So maybe that's a sign that weakness is coming. So there could be some nervousness about 
about the outlook for new customers. There are some positives. Sunrun does have an installation backlog, about one to two quarters or so. So that could help offset some of that demand weakness. And then it also recently announced a partnership with Ford. So that should help. The second issue you're seeing is supply chain uh, problems. Is this going to start to ease because Sunrun deals with so many suppliers? There's also been a battery supply bottleneck. So we'll be checking to see what these higher material costs, too, will mean for margins. And then lastly, this is not an impact on earnings, but more of a conversation that will probably come up. Short seller Muddy Waters claiming Sunrun is deceptive and close to bankruptcy. And then Sunrun responded saying, hey, no, we stand by our financial statements. That's not true. There you have the estimates. All right, let's move uh, to Danielle and get your take on it. You are long uh, and bullish on solds uh, on uh, on this stock in the long run. You think it's close, possibly also to a short squeeze. Yes, you know, and I feel the same way about this stock as I feel about Lucid. You know, looking at the chart pattern, obviously we've been in a bad downtrend. The fundamentals are kind of a mess. Product is very expensive. However, when you look at the chart on this ticker, we're right up against April highs. And with a market maker expected move of about $3, that would break us up through those highs. And the stock has about 15% high short interest. I actually favor Enphase. And if you look at Enphase, Enphase just made a new all-time high. The irony of inflation, you would think that it would cause people to shy away from expensive products like solar panels. But what they're actually seeing is we're seeing a rise in adoption to solar panels due to the high cost of energy prices. So I'm actually not going to buy this one pre-earnings, but if it does gap up and move more than about three, four dollars, I'm going to look for a post-earnings momentum move for a short squeeze. All right, let's go to our final name, Hostess. Does it have the mostest? It's the maker of Twinkies, other iconic snacks, outpacing the broader averages up 11% this year. It's beaten estimates for two years in a row as it continues to grow its product line and seemingly avoid any major hits from uh, inflation. Christina, what do you think of uh, any company that has a ticker symbol Twink is pretty good, right? Well, I don't know about that, but uh, and, and maybe you like Twinkies. I don't. But overall inflation, you brought that up. Uh, that could actually help uh, consumer products like this because people are buying more of their uh, food and and by making food at home. So this would benefit consumer staple companies, including Hostess. So there's three major food trends that we're starting to see. The first one is that consumers are trading down. So they're going for the cheaper products. What does that mean for Hostess? Because some of the products are a little bit more expensive than other brands. The second thing is that private label is growing. And if private label is growing, that means that pinky, uh, pinkies, <laughs> people aren't going to be buying those Twinkies. And then the last one, which is a concerning factor across the board, as supply chain issues start to ease, you have inventory levels that have been high for some of these makers. So they're going to be putting out promotions. So what does that mean for uh, Hostess's gross margins going forward? Uh, that could be a big issue. We're expecting EPS of about 22 cents a share. Christina Tyler. is not big on Twinkies. But I like Mae West. I don't think you know what that is because I think it's only available in Canada. I, it's a chocolate puck. Uh, that one's better oh, than Twinkies. That sounds pretty good. All right, uh, Danielle, what do you think of uh, Hostess? You know, I like this company, Tyler. I think the fundamentals are strong. I like the overall trend. I think they've been doing a fantastic job increasing their margins and increasing growth. You have younger folks coming in, eating a lot of snacks. 
And they've also completed an acquisition that enabled them to expand their product line. I think that they're well suited to deal with the current inflationary environment. If they do happen to be a little bit soft on earnings, especially because they have already rallied going into the report, I would love to pick up this stock around $20, $21. Um, and I think it can actually make a new all-time high. So I'm targeting about $26, $27 a share. So pretty decent upside on this one. All right. Thanks a lot, uh, Danielle. We appreciate it. Christina, thank you as well. We've still got more big earnings on deck, including ELF Beauty. CEO Tarang Amin will join us tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern to break down his company's Q1 results. You don't want to miss that. Tarang Amin of ELF Beauty. Up next, the ISM Services Index posting a surprise jump in July. I was waiting for this. The, I, the ISM Index suggesting economic expansion despite the macro headwinds. But if you ask mom and pop shops, they're singing a very different tune. The latest results of CNBC's small business survey and what it could mean for the midterm elections after this quick break. More exchange after this. All right, welcome back, everybody. The results are in from the latest CNBC small business survey and Main Street not feeling great as inflation runs hot and growth contracts. Kate Rogers joins us now with some numbers. Hey, Kate. Hey, Tyler, good to see you. Sentiment is continuing to slip on Main Street. Our CNBC SurveyMonkey Small Business Confidence Index fell to an overall score of 42 for Q3. That is a new low in the several years that we've been doing this survey, and it's also below the previous record low of 43, set during the first quarter of the Biden administration. Nearly every component in the index worsened this quarter. Only a third of owners say that business conditions are good. Nearly the same amount expect that their revenues will decrease in the next year. Now, the big reason for the decline in optimism this quarter is inflation concerns. 43% say it's the biggest threat to their business. That's a new high for this year. 77% say they expect inflation to continue to rise. Supply chain and labor woes do continue to weigh on Main Street, but nowhere near as much as inflation. The pandemic has also taken a back seat here in terms of impact to business. And about that recession, most small business owners think we're already in it. Our poll finds 57% of owners say that we are now in a recession, 14% saying we will be by the time the year wraps up. This pessimism amongst small business owners actually exceeds the pessimism in the general population we surveyed, where under half think that the economy is already in a recession. So interesting there that small business owners are kind of feeling worse than the general public when it comes to the topic of recession. So, you know, Kate, you, you, you kind of answered this. You said that inflation has knocked out labor worries as the number one concern of small business owners. But, but what are we seeing on the small business labor front. Yeah, it's such an interesting picture here. So a third say that hiring is still a problem. 45% say wages are rising. This is kind of consistent with what we've been hearing from the National Federation of Independent Business in their poll, that hiring is still an issue. Wages are on the way up. But if you look out at plans for future hiring, those are starting to slow because Small business owners either believe we're already in a recession or that's coming down the line. So they need workers now. They're not sure that they're going to need them in the next six months or 12 months ahead. All right, Kate, thank you very much. Kate Rogers reporting from the City by the Bay. Still ahead, despite uh, all the recession chatter, which we just did a little bit uh, right there, inflation concerns, yes, check that box, and cuts to earnings estimates. The retail sector is up more than 11% over the past month, and it is the off-price names that are pulling ahead, perhaps due in part to those inflation concerns. TJX, Burlington, Ross stores, all higher this week. We will talk to an analyst 
about the dynamics at play. That is next on The Exchange. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. Off-price retailers up double digits over the past month. But Wells Fargo warns there could be some pain ahead for the group in the short term, prompting the firm to lower forecasts for a number of these uh, very familiar stocks. Joining us now, the analyst behind that call, Ike Borschow. He's managing director at Wells Fargo. Uh, Ike, welcome. You've sort of cut across the board with some names that have been darlings for Burlington, Ross stores, TJX among them. Cutting uh, EPS estimates and and, uh, and and so forth. Why? Yeah, Tyler. Uh, so you know, keep in mind, we, the numbers we cut, price targets didn't get cut. So we are actually warming up to the off prices. We have a buy on Burl, warming up to Ross and TJ. I think that it's it's more about understanding where we are in the cycle for our space, and also understanding what's going on with off price. In the, at the highest level, what's going on is the last eighteen months to two years. It's been very hard for these guys to run their model, acquiring inventory, closeouts, et cetera. People didn't need the off-price channel. Inventory was lean. Everyone didn't need closeouts. Now that's changing. All of our checks are pointing to inventory dislocations picking up. We know inventory in the space is heavy, and that's really starting to set them up well for 23. And I think at these levels, it actually starts to be kind of a clearing event, even though Q2 in and of itself might be a little bit weak. So let me let me make sure for the for the people who are considering buying these stocks or who own them, because many people like them, as you seem to. What does your call really mean? You're you're saying earnings are going to go down in the near term, but you like the stocks in the longer term. Is am I understanding you correctly? Yeah, I think the setup is improving. And so, you know, why is that? You know, if numbers are going down, why wouldn't that be bad for the stocks? Well, it's because right. the inventory dynamics that are taking place within off price right now, you're not going to see in the numbers right now. If they're getting really good buys with great buying margins and packing away high quality branded product that's going to get unleashed, you know, in the next six to nine months, that has nothing to do with Q2 earnings. So you have to cut, you know, the market's forward looking. You have to look past these things. And you've seen it with names like Bath and Body Works, BBWI, which negatively pre-announced a couple of weeks ago. And what's happened since then? The stock opened up down 10%, then it closed up, and now it's up 25% more. High quality names, early cycle group. You have to buy some of these names early so you can't sit or sit on your hands too long. Otherwise, you miss out on some opportunities to own some very high quality assets within discretion. So once again, if we get numbers today that aren't what we might have been expecting here, if it comes down a little bit, don't freak out. Don't run to sell your shares. If anything, maybe add. Yeah, I got to be careful because I only have a buy on Burlington. Right. Um, but, what I, but what I would say is the Q2 numbers in and of themselves should not should not be scary unless there's something that, you know, maybe there's an execution misstep. Maybe a company, you know, maybe one of them is buying a category wrong. Maybe there's a management change, something that's that we're not really thinking through right now. Absent that, you know, if we're just talking about a weak Q2 right. cautious back half guide where we need to lower our numbers, I don't really view that as thesis changing. So if you own those names, I don't really think that should change your view. So let me ask a sort of freshman level question. Do, do the inventory issues that are afflicting some of the bigger stores like Target and Walmart and others, do they help these little guys? Uh, over, over time, yeah. So 
uh, it's going to lead to more closeout buys. Right. And remember, closeout buys are higher margin buys for these guys because it's liquidation. So they're going to be getting a much better margin selling that stuff than they would on product that's made for them. Um, on top of that, you, you know, and, and we know uh, the issues that are going on with, with, with apparel inventory specifically in the, in, the, in the space right now. But it's not just that. I mean, our, our checks are showing that there's a lot of product over in China right now. The right. supply chain bottlenecks are not behind us. And this is just going to kind of fuel more and more close out and pack away buy, buys for these guys. And remember that the key here is you're not going to see the benefit of those uh, buys coming through until they sell them, which won't happen until early next year. So again, this is why it's not about Q2. You need to kind of look forward. I am going to get to go home this afternoon and tell my wife that come January, there's going to be some good stuff in her favorite store, <laughs> Home Goods. Right? I want to know what she says. All right. Yeah. No, I'll be there with her, waiting in the car right. while she goes in. Ike Borcho of Wells Fargo, thank you. All right, coming up, cost-cutting buybacks and an activist investor shares popping on PayPal's deep transformation plan announced in its quarterly report last night. The details after this quick break and a check on the markets with the Dow up more now than 400 points. We are rallying this afternoon. Be right back. All right, race to the finish. Welcome back to The Exchange. PayPal reporting better than expected earnings, but it's the company's deep transformation plan and an activist investor that's pushing shares higher today. Kate Rooney joins us now with that story. Hey, Kate. Hey, Tyler. This is the transformation PayPal investors have been waiting for. It's cutting costs, buying back $15 billion in stock, and there's a new major shareholder Driving these changes, PayPal CEO Dan Schulman on the call saying the company was in the process of a deep transformation of the business to regain momentum. PayPal hired a new CFO, Blake Jorgensen. That open CFO seat had been a bit of a hangover for uh, PayPal stock. Executives also outlined a cost savings program that's expected to save $900 million this year with another $1.3 billion in savings next year and margin expansion set for 2023. PayPal CEO gave some examples of what they're already doing to save some money. For one, they're pulling back on hiring and scrapping plans to launch a stock trading platform. Sources had told me last year that PayPal was looking to take on Robinhood with a trading app that is no longer on the roadmap. It's reallocating those resources to its core checkout business. Then there's Elliott Management. Everybody's talking about that news. PayPal for the first time confirming that $2 billion stake Elliott's managing partner with a quote in PayPal's release highlighting the cost savings initiative that it says will drive that growth and value. Investors I've been talking to say the Elliott backing really gives this turnaround plan some teeth. It adds pressure to PayPal executives to deliver. Many in the investor community had lost a bit of trust in the PayPal team after it shifted targets in prior quarters. Tyler, you can see that excitement in PayPal shares today up more than 9% after what has been a pretty tough year for that stock. In a phrase or two, what went wrong at PayPal? What did they miss? Overspending. That's been one of the big things. Overambitious targets. They had set the goalpost a little too high, as some might describe it. And just lack of focus. It seemed like things like stock trading, they really tried to take on everything, where Mm -hmm. the investor community said, hey, we really want you to focus on core checkout. That's the business. That's the bread and butter and the revenue driver here. It may have taken Alrighty. that pressure from Elliott and an activist investor to drive that, but it seems to be the result a lot of, in the investor community uh, we're looking for here. All right, Kate, thanks very much. And that does it for the exchange. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 